0: And welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. Nick McNamara here in studio on this Monday morning. In for Brandon Peoples, off on Pottawatomie County Commission duty. For the whole hour today, we're going to have with us a visit with the Riley County Historical Museum. We have director Alana Parker on Zoom with us. Alana, thanks for calling in. Good morning. Thank you for
1: having us. This is- one of our favorite times of the month is being able to talk about local history with you guys. So thank you.
0: And I think we, I was saying also, it's probably one of our favorite shows here at K-Man as well, uh, whether it's Brandon or me in the seat. It's always just fun to kind of get a chance to look back a little bit, reflect, and uh, get a different picture of things than maybe we're all seeing today. You know, there's a lot of progress that brings us to where we are. So getting an opportunity from someone very well-versed in the history gives us a, a different perspective. So always appreciate that. Um, thank you. Of course, and let's see. Uh, we want to talk before we get into the topic. We're going to be talking about lodgings and hotels, uh, historical here in Riley County, Manhattan area. And from my perspective, looking around, you see a lot of the new ones. You know, I I'm I live near Aggieville, so I see the Blue Monts, I see the Courtyards by Marriotts, but there's a lot of historical ones as well. A lot of history here in terms of lodging. This place has been a destination for travel for quite some time. Before we get into the conversation, though. I did want to turn it over to any events or tours or just things going on around the museum that you want to get out there into the public.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, so glad that the weather's nice now. Um, makes it a little easier to, to get outdoors and go visit some different sites. Um, so, of course, the Riley County Historical Museum. Um, we also have the Riley County Historical Society that owns um, different our other historical sites and different properties. Um, so, of course, the museum is open. We have our exhibits. We are always working on. Uh, showcasing new artifacts, so rotating some of those out, so you can come by the museum. Um, We are open Tuesday through Friday from 8.30 to 5, and Saturday and Sunday from 2 to 5. Um, It is free admission. All of our sites, free admission. Um, But you can come by if you are interested in a guided tour. We are very happy to um, provide a guided tour, but it's also just at your leisure. So if you like to go through the galleries and take your time and um, really soak up, we have such a diverse history here. Um, in Riley County, and we really try to showcase that. And of course, the museum being located in Manhattan, um, we also wanna highlight the other communities here in Riley County. So Leonardville, um, Randolph, Riley, Ogden. So we have artifacts from all those other communities and some of the unincorporated communities as well, um, such as Bala, for example. So we've got um, our museum galleries open. We still have our women's suffrage exhibit on display. Um, Of course, we put that up in 2020, and that's when the pandemic really hit so we um, unfortunately the museum building was closed for a period so we wanted to make sure to have that exhibit up uh, where people can come learn about the women's suffrage movement here in riley county so um, again, and I'll, I'll mention Susan B. Anthony later when we start talking about hotels, but we have a, a letter from Susan B. Anthony written to uh, Annie Pillsbury on, on exhibit, which just is such a special piece of history uh, to have. Um, and then we also have our, our I mentioned our other historical sites. So the Wolf House Museum, um, we'll talk about that too a little later, talking about boarding houses. Um, but that was an 1868 German boarding house uh, that was built and provided lodging for uh, residents of Manhattan or those who were traveling through the area. Uh, So we have that open Saturdays and Sundays. The Pioneer Log Cabin, we will have that open uh, this coming weekend on Sunday. Uh, So the Pioneer Log Cabin is right there in the middle of uh, Manhattan City Park, the very first Riley County Historical Museum built in 1916. So uh, we just went down there to make sure we didn't have any uh, critters roaming around being in a cabin in the park. So um, really gives you that authentic pioneer experience there. Um, So there's just a lot to see. Um, I also want to mention we have uh, self-guided driving tours. Uh, So you can go to our homepage for the museum. Download some of those driving tours, uh, get a, a partner, a co-pilot and, and travel around the area and learn about some of these different sites. You can print that off and um, have a great time just getting to, to know our community a little better. So there is no shortage of things to do in our, our town here that pertain to history.
0: That's for sure. And reminder twenty three oh nine Claflin Road, if you want to check out the museum. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, historical lodging and hotels here in Manhattan. And it's um, I was I was talking with a friend about this actually recently about just sort of the the transitory history of Manhattan and how you know they refer to Kansas these days as a flyover state. Maybe a bad name, maybe a misnomer, given the beauty here, but. In back in the day, it was more of a train-through state. There was a lot of famous people that would come through here. They would stay maybe in the Manhattan area in some cases. And as a result, that's where these hotels come into the picture.
1: Yes, absolutely. So one of the earliest hotels that we had was the Manhattan House Hotel. And there are, um, one of the earliest photographs we have of that, though, is from 1867. But it was actually built in 1857. So Riley County being founded in 1855, so just two years later, um, we have this beautiful hotel built. It was a two-story hotel. It did have a basement, and it was located on Wyandotte and Points Avenue, which Wyandotte actually um, was right up against the Blue River there. So you had Points Avenue. Um, I always love imagining, you know, of course where the mall is today. What that would have looked like, you know, there where it turns into to 24. Um, Tuttle Creek Boulevard there, that hotel was sitting there um, on the south side of of the road there on points. Um, So this hotel, you could usually stay for a dollar a day. It was anywhere from a dollar to two dollars a day depending. Um, And then uh, GL Coleman was the proprietor and he really tried to um, utilize this hotel for a variety of purposes. So not just for lodging for people who are traveling through, Um, But there were actual actually um, you had dentists. So, for example, there was a dentist from Lawrence, Kansas, who would travel through uh, the area and he would rent rooms out of this hotel and he would provide his dental services. This would have been in 1860, provide his dental services right there in the hotel. Um, So that's definitely something we don't really see today. You go to the dental office, but here you have somebody coming in, um, performing those uh, dental procedures right there in the hotel room. So that was kind of a fun find. Um, And then there were also artists. So uh, one example, uh, an individual who stayed at the Manhattan House Hotel, uh, his name was B.F. White and he was an artist um, who would travel again throughout Kansas. And he would offer his his services, so he would paint. And I, I love this quote, um, as he's being advertised that you can um, utilize his services there at the Manhattan House Hotel. It said, quote, we doubt no one can make or he can make even the homely faces look handsome. <laughs> so here, here you see, um, again, you could go to this hotel, um, hire this artist. He would paint you. And you're usually um, a lot of the artists at the time, they would have The canvas, the bust would be painted, pre-painted, and then draw the face. On later, a lot of those traveling artists uh, did that at the time, but uh, that was one example in 1860. What you could find at the Manhattan House Hotel, so um, he could make even the homely faces handsome. So I thought that was kind of a a funny one too.
0: (laughs) Quite a sales pitch, I must say. Um, Maybe maybe not the nicest if you're the one getting the painting done of you though. (laughs) Um, That's very fascinating. You know, you mentioned a dollar a day. I had to do a little bit of an inflation calculator here. That would be I did it out from 1870, so this might not be exact. It's in the. $22 range today. So $22 a night hotel. Um, I'm not sure you can get that very many many places anymore.
1: No, that's pretty reasonable. And and just imagining what Manhattan looked like at the time, of course, we're talking about um, 1855. That's the true Kansas prairie. Um, You had Fort Riley, which was established in 1853. Um, So traveling in between there, a lot of times uh, going from Leavenworth to Fort Riley. Uh, Manhattan is just starting to be developed. So uh, to find a nice accommodation there, 1857 in the Manhattan House Hotel, um, would have been a a luxury. Uh, And speaking, you're mentioning some of the more prominent individuals that traveled through. Um, We were talking about Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony was actually in Manhattan on three separate occasions. And of course, each time it was to advocate for women's rights and women's voting rights. So she came to Manhattan in 1857. And she was with Lucy Stone, another well-known suffragist. They tried to stay in the Manhattan House Hotel. So she had given a a speech um, at Goves Hall, which was across the street, um, to uh, several um, men and women and even some children who were in the audience. But she tried to find lodging at the Manhattan House Hotel. And this was also in 1857, so the same year the hotel was built and she was denied a stay in the hotel because the proprietor thought that her views on women's voting rights was Far too um, radical. So um, he actually referred to her views as a moral that these women who were, you know, quote, traipsing about the countryside demanding votes for the women folk is, is what he said. Um, so here is Susan B. Anthony trying to stay in a hotel here um, in Manhattan, Kansas. And, and the proprietor said, absolutely not. So uh, we do think it was at that time that because she could not stay at the hotel, Um, J.H. Pillsbury, who I mentioned, Annie Pillsbury, the letter that we have on exhibit, um, we believe it was at that point that she was invited, Susan B. was invited to stay with the Pillsbury family. So she became close friends with them, and in particular, um, Annie Pillsbury. And so later in 1881, she wrote to Annie and she calls her my dear friend. And uh, Annie Pillsbury was actually the first female postmaster here um, in Manhattan. Uh, That was in 1879. So just a a really robust story, all that history there that um, because she was denied the stay, she becomes friends with the Pillsbury family. And and subsequently they form that friendship. And now we've got a letter that she wrote to her. Um, that was addressed, my dearest friend, in 1881. So um, really, really neat history. But can you imagine today, though, um, somebody being denied a stay in a hotel because of their views here on um, with, with women's rights? So that's just a really fascinating story.
0: Yeah, talk about connections, being able to save the day there. You know, you, as you mentioned, the difficulty finding lodging here, I, there perhaps maybe were some other smaller opportunities, but to have as, as good of lodging, to be and then to not even be given an opportunity, I can imagine is a little rough after probably however long the travel may have been. You know, I mentioned trains, this was more stagecoach, steamboat time rather than uh, people taking railroads. I was thinking more 1900s when I mentioned that. So this was an entirely different mode of travel and probably an entirely different length of travel to get to a place and then ultimately find out you can't even stay.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, So, as you mentioned, steamboat, and then um, oftentimes they would then, after arriving in Kansas City, head the rest of the way west um, by wagon train, or as you mentioned, stagecoach or wagon. Um, The railroad actually came through Manhattan in 1866. So that's still pretty early. But even before that, like you you mentioned, I mean, here's almost 10 years or over 10 years before it's lodging's going to be hard to find. Travel is difficult. And um, that's one thing I love about history. It really makes you appreciate what we have today. I mean, my goodness. And um, thinking about traveling 1857, Susan B. Anthony coming through, uh, there's no air conditioning or um, and, and, and they, but they did provide food, so you could get a. They had restaurants inside these hotels, so you could get a nice meal. Um, but still, I just that's one thing I really love about history: just how much it makes it makes you appreciate what we have today and what individuals had to go through in order for us to have the lives we have today.
0: And I think it's a time for our a good time for our first break of the morning. So with that, let's take our first break, Stephen, and uh, we'll be back. Talk more about hotels and lodgings historically here in Riley County with Riley County Historical Museum Director Alana Parker. We'll be back on In Focus News Radio KMAN, and we're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. We're talking about historical lodging and hotels in the Riley County and Manhattan area with Historical Museum Director Alana Parker. We were talking about the Manhattan House Hotel in the previous segment um, and also Susan B. Anthony's visit and well, maybe desired stay but not accomplished stay at that hotel. But um, as we look forward, there's plenty of other uh, historical lodgings and hotels here in the area. This place has been a dis- destination and a travel spot for quite a while. Whether it's traveling through or traveling to Manhattan, um, people have always needed a place to stay.
1: Absolutely, Um, and but I did want to mention so that Manhattan House Hotel we didn't um, have a chance to follow up. So that did burn down in 1870. Okay, a common occurrence, um, actually, and I mean being a stone building. um, So 1870, it it, um, burned to the ground, and but they continued to build other hotels because it was a necessity. Um, So the Adams House Hotel, and there are some incredible photos um, of this hotel as well. It was a three-story limestone building it did have a basement as well so the basement and then three stories um this was built in 1870 so it was a larger hotel and it helped uh, accommodate a lot of those travelers coming through but this um house hotel so it similarly to the manhattan house it hosted a variety of different offices so dentistry offices um Even doctors' offices, they had rented out different rooms uh, where they had their practices there um, in this hotel. But the Manhattan Library Institute, so our early roots of the um, what we know as the Manhattan Public Library today, actually got its start in the Adams House Hotel. So they actually, this was in eighteen fifty six, was. So this is obviously pre-hotel, but when they started getting uh, the idea of a library going here um, in Manhattan. So very early on, um, the importance of education and um, being uh, literate here was important. Not illiterate. I can't talk today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you got it across.
1: (laughs) Was important. Um, So they did, in 1874, establish a reading room and a library in one of the large parlors of the Adams House Hotel, um, which is just really great. So they did have um, a membership and this was a pre-hotel, but membership to the Manhattan Literary Institute was, quote, open to all persons of good and moral character. So I don't know how they gauged that, but there was um, the credentials for being a member of the literary society. Um, but to have the, that early start of a a library was actually in this hotel um, in our community here. Um, but again, this hotel did not last very long. Um, So built in 1870, it was also destroyed by fire in 1884. So here's a second hotel um, that didn't make it very long. But there are some really neat stories that you can find of different events that took place in the Adams House Hotel. And one that I wanted to share, um, well, I'm sorry, this was one I meant to share with the Manhattan House Hotel. So we're kind of run around here a little bit, but I thought this was really fun. Um, So this was from the Manhattan Nationalist, and this was in November of 1866. It was an oyster supper that was given at the Manhattan House last Saturday evening in honor of the election of Major Nehemiah Green to the office of Lieutenant Governor. We had intended to give a detailed account of this interesting and merry meeting, but waiting for a more convenient season, the moment passed and we can now give but a passing notice of the event. Um, But it talks about... Um, after a short social interview, it was announced that the supper was ready. The company descended to the dining room where the tables were set in fine style and loaded with the finest luxury possible in this central part of the continent. A 1,600 miles from the sea, they had fresh oysters, stewed, fried, uncooked, apparently just from the shell. We have never partaken of an oyster supper so well prepared. No, not in Kansas. So it's kind of fun to find. Um, you think of what... These hotels might have looked like, um, and the events that are taking place. And here you have something as the way they're describing it: the finest luxury with oysters brought in. Of course, being um, you know what it says, sixteen hundred miles from the sea, bringing in oysters. Um, it says toasts were given, and they had new cider um, made by several of the gentlemen present. Um, after the supper, the company. Um, they retreated to the sitting room where several national airs were sung, accompanied with the piano and flute. So I just thought that was a really fun um, example of one of the events that pertained to um, then at the time, Lieutenant um, Governor Green, who then became a governor of Kansas, uh, third governor of Kansas. And he is actually buried in Sunset Cemetery, and um, his home was up in Randolph later after he was governor. He uh, did move back to to Manhattan area or to Riley County, and his home was up um, in the Randolph area. But I wanted to share that story, kind of a a fun event there. But now going back to the Adams House Hotel, uh, another story here from the newspapers. They had the Adams House Ball. It says, quote, Paris is excited by her siege, St. Louis by her fair, but nonetheless, Manhattan at the completion of her new hotel, which on Thursday evening of last week was a theater of enjoyment seldom witnessed so far west. And then it goes on to say a large and brilliant party of ladies and gentlemen assembled in the spacious parlors of the Adams house early in the evening. The attendance exceeded the expectations of the most. And the display of taste and the arrangement of ladies was very fine. So it goes on to talk about the every uh, every woman, what they wore, what they how they did their hair. Um, so it's it's really fun to read those kinds of events because again we're talking about these early. This is uh, 1870 in, in what Manhattan would have looked like at the time. Um, Sometimes it's hard to imagine uh, this kind of opulence at that time, but um, here you can find in newspapers where these hotels are being used for these kinds of um, events here.
0: Yeah. And you say, you say opulence, I mean, bringing oysters to Manhattan uh, back in, back in even the early 1900s I imagine was, was a task, like 1600 miles to the ocean as, is, as it was stated. That's, Kind of hard to ensure freshness when when you're dealing with times without refrigeration and things like that.
1: Yes, thankfully, as I mentioned, you know, 1866, we do have the railroad uh, come through Manhattan at that time. But still, as you're talking about, yes, freshness is is probably an an issue there. Um, but that you could get these types of goods um, in in our area at the time, and even um, one of the um, really advantages too um, that you wouldn't really think of, of having having the railroad come through different kinds of, of fruits and, and vegetables. So it was a, a, a big deal in the Manhattan papers. They're talking about getting oranges that were transported from Florida and you have grapefruits coming in from California. So east and then west, these um, more you know exotic, I use that word um, as they would in the, the paper, these types of fruits that then you could get here um, in those early, early days here in Manhattan.
0: Something also, you mentioned the books, touching back on the the presence of early sort of literacy clubs in the Adams Hotel. Um, that's also something that can be hard to ship. You know, the, the train, of course, makes that a lot easier. But even then, that's a heavy load. Books are, especially with the thick paper, the thick parchment used back in the day, that stuff stacks up quite quick. And just adding the types of loads, that shows just how important it was to be able to set aside that much cargo, that much cargo space, to bringing books here just shows how important literacy was as you were touching on.
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, literacy or even uh, music. Music was important at that time. That is how you entertain. Um, and again, today we have uh, so many different things that vibrate our attention with uh, TV and, and our, our cell phones. But here for entertainment, um, it's Music and books. And so, thinking about some of these, um, if you've ever seen a large square grand piano, um, these large beautiful pianos, those were shipped. They had one in the hotel, um, one of these square grand pianos. And we have um, one on exhibit at the museum right now, and we had to move it for an exhibit. And that is not an easy task. So, when you're talking about moving these types of things, moving in, them into a hotel, um, but that's what they did for entertainment. And the hotel was the, the meeting place. You have the the books, the the library, the social setting, the events and the music um, all right there. These took place and the hotel was one of the um, central places for these gatherings.
0: And you mentioned uh, the Adams and the Manhattan House Hotel both met their demise in fire. Um, Do you have any details on what exactly caused those fires? Were they just kind of typical house fires caused by maybe heating materials or a, uh, a candle that fell over?
1: Um, actually so in 1884 this was May 30th they had in the newspaper from the Manhattan nationalist as I said Manhattan or excuse me the Adams house burned quote the most destructive ever known, fire ever known in Manhattan broke out about 9 pm May 22nd in the basement of the Adams house it is not known how it originated but it commenced in the laundry or the kitchen and spread so rapidly in a few minutes the entire building was filled with a dense mask of a mass of smoke. Um, Four servant girls were sleeping in the third story at the time. Three of them escaped down the stairs, but the fourth was afraid to venture and was finally rescued by means of ladders. Um, So they don't know exactly how it happened, except that it seemed to have originated um, in the laundry room or kitchen, which is not surprising. I mean, you think about um, kitchens at that time, they were in the basement there. Um, there's all kinds of possibilities for, for fire there. Um, one thing I, I always think about, too, um, the kitchen for at Kansas State Agricultural College for the Domestic Science Department, that was actually in the basement of Anderson Hall, which is, is hard to imagine. So they had these giant, um, and we do have photographs of that, these giant wood-burning stoves that they had in the basement where they are doing their cooking. So it's just um, a real opportunity opportunity for for, um, fire hazards there. So uh, unfortunately, as as we talked about, this Adams House Hotel um, didn't make it. And they actually um, put up a billboard. So all of this stone um, the rubble was laying there for um, quite a extended period of time and they were having trouble. It was in the paper where people are stealing the stone and um, they're having to keep an eye out for people who are making off with this limestone from the, the rubble. And at one point they put up a, a large billboard to cover up the mess behind it because of course uh, that's going to be a, an effort to clean up. Um, so the insurance on the building was $8,500.00. Um, But it was kind of said in the paper, uh, the owners probably shed no tears over the amount of their loss. Uh, the furniture was insured for $2,000. Um, so it's interesting to see at that time what the insurance values were for that. And again, you, you talk about the inflation calculator. Um, it's really neat. You can just go online and enter those numbers in. So you could see in 1884 what, what that would be.
0: Yeah, multiply these numbers by like 22 or something like that, and you'll kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here. It $2,000 times 22. I'm not going to do the quick math, but you can envision how that multiplies quite quick. Yes. and I imagine these these buildings were very wood wood uh, wood based wood structures there was limestone but there was a lot of wood inside as well perhaps in the in some of the infrastructure inside of maybe like the interior walls and the like
1: right right so they would have had um likely the lath um in plaster on the inside of the walls but um even the that those fires though brought down the the limestone these were both Um, stone buildings. And um, that limestone was um, very coveted. So of course, as I mentioned, they had people who were from the rubble continuing to, to steal as they're trying to get this cleaned up, which unfortunately, sometimes that still happens today too.
0: Yeah. You think about copper pipes, it's kind of a similar trend, unfortunately. Well, let's take our next break of the morning, and we have plenty of more hotels and lodgings here in Riley County to talk about when we return with Alana Parker on News Radio, KMAN's In Focus. All right, and we're back here on In Focus News Radio, KMAN, Riley County Historical Museum Director Alana Parker on Zoom with us. We're talking historical lodgings and hotels in the Riley County and Manhattan area, and We're going to move off into one kind of more near the airport for this segment. Um, We're talking about the uh, hotel resort at Eureka Lake for this portion.
1: Yeah. So moving a little further west of town here. um, And we're talking about, you know, earlier the hotels and the necessity for people who are traveling through. Um, Of course, some would stay for extended periods of time and then move on. But going down Points Avenue, um, you know, there are photos of these wagon trains heading out west, having lodging there. So that was out of necessity for lodging. So when we're talking about the Eureka Lake Hotel, that is for leisure. That is strictly for people to go out and have a nice relaxing time. Um, So I'm not sure how many people are familiar that there was a resort. It was a hotel and a resort that was out there um, that was known, as I mentioned, there's Eureka Lake. And then um, it was built as a nice leisure resort by a man named C.P. Dewey. So C.P. Dewey uh, was actually from Chicago and how he really gained his fortune um, was when there was the great Chicago fire um, in 1870, excuse me, 1874. Um, he actually bought up a lot of that land that was burned. And of course it paid off um, in the area as he built it up. Um, so he just made a fortune from there and then looked to Kansas for opportunity um, for financial gain. And so he, He bought up thousands and thousands of acres of Rollins County. He had of course here in Riley County uh, several thousand acres of land. But one piece of land that he was particularly interested in was west of Manhattan and that was by Eureka Lake. So Eureka Lake was formed in 1844 as an oxbow lake. So there was a flood in 44 that cut off a channel of the river leaving behind um, this small lake. So C.P. Dewey goes out there, he sees how beautiful the scenery is, and he decides to build a small hotel there. So this opened in 1901. And in 1901, so he had the hotel, but it's based around kind of lake life. We think about all the activities we do at the lake today. So he really emphasized recreation at the lake. Of course, you have your typical, your fishing, your boating, um, but he actually built a toboggan slide So this toboggan slide kind of went from the deck of the hotel, or just below it, where you would have um, a little kind of cart in almost a roller coaster ride that would then kind of launch you out into the lake. And this is 1901, and it's always um, fun to think about. You look at some of the photos historical photos from the time. And a lot of, of course, people aren't smiling, it, they're in black and white, and it's really hard to imagine um, what life was like. But here people, they obviously had fun then too, and this is such a perfect example. Um, if you can imagine these, and a lot of them, uh, of the photos we have, you can see these ladies in their, their wool swimsuits. Of course, they're covered head to toe in wool swimsuits, um, but they've got the toboggan slide in the background. And so they're getting on this little sled and it's launching them out into the lake. Um, So this hotel, it was a a fine hotel. Um, So he had um, electric lighting, um, advertised as sanitary plumbing. Um, So this was a big deal to have um, electric lighting in there, um, modern heating. Um, But the big selling point for this hotel was... a single porcelain tub that was available for bathing.
0: Oh no,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of hard to imagine. I, I
0: would I would figure you're booking times or, or scheduling in advance when you're going to take your bath. At that point, there, you probably can't exactly just do it whenever you want.
1: Right. Well, and this is in the in the time where bathing once a week was sufficient. So, but if you imagine uh, summertime and out in uh, out in Manhattan when you're bathing just really once a week is um, it's definitely something we don't really do today. <laughs> a lot of
0: perfume, a lot of perfume helped.
1: Oh my gosh,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So just so, for reference, as uh, we're talking about this, this resort, this lake, this was about in the area of the airport and uh, sort of in the Brits Farm area as well.
1: Uh, correct. So where the Flint Hills Job Corps today is actually, where that's located is where um, that hotel was located. Um, And again, this is another hotel that was destroyed by fire. The original hotel was destroyed by fire. Um, But it actually was short-lived as well. It was 1901, and it closed in 1904, and that's because C.P. Dewey died. And he did have a son who it was thought that he was going to uh, take on the resort and keep it going. Um, But his son, uh, his name was Chauncey Dewey, he was really tied up. He had... um, some legal issues out in Western Kansas, um, which this is a whole nother story in of itself, but there was a a shootout in Western Kansas over a a water dispute. So needless to say, Chauncey was a little preoccupied out there in Western Kansas. So, um, and at one point, um, even Harry Pratt Wareham, he got together some other businessmen and thought about trying to get this resort going again, uh, but that failed. Um, So I'm sure many know there was a, a major flood in 1903 here in Manhattan. And they actually, so this hotel, they used that as kind of a a point of refuge for people. They had boats there at the lake, so they went out to some of the farms during the flood to help rescue people. And because this resort was on high enough ground, they actually brought these um, individuals whose homes were flooded, brought them to the hotel. Um, So that's a a neat story there as well. Um, You know, and the wonderful thing about history, you're always learning more. So at one point, it was thought that it was the flood that closed the hotel, which is not the case. And of course, that was 1903. You could see in 1904, they were gearing up to open open again. And in fact, they said uh, that the hotel was, they're making light of the situation, um, that it was flooded with guests. So it still did great business. After the flood, it was just C.P. Dewey's passing that after um, after he died, it, it really just... Uh, kind of fell away and um, didn't have anybody to continue running it but um, there are some tremendous photographs of this resort i know it's always hard you know you're trying to describe it but if you're interested um, in seeing some of these photos of the hotel um, we do have some on our website so at the riley county historical museum but if you also go to the kansas state historical society they have a site called kansas memory uh, you can click specifically on Riley County photos, you can search Eureka Lake, and you can see this incredible hotel um, out there by the lake.
0: And, you know, it's it's interesting for, for a community that has such a long history with flooding, unfortunate history with flooding as well, you also get the chance to see just the positive helping atmosphere the helping nature of manhattan and riley county residents in that every time we have a a terrible incident like this you can see just loads of people flocking to help whether it's providing lodging whether it's piloting the boats that are necessary to get out there and save people people come out to help and that's always nice to hear even historically that this has been a trend that's continued
1: yes i'm glad you mentioned that absolutely um and that's i'm um, thankful to hear stories of those who, during the 51 flood, who, um, one individual I spoke with, his father had a boat. He remembers, so he was a young boy going out on this boat. Um, they had a kind of a makeshift dock there on the south end of Manhattan City Park, where they were going out rescuing people, and then they would bring them back there. Um, so, yes, those those things over time that that stay the same, and that's, we have a, a really great community that always reaches out and, and helps. But, um, yes, we have deep history of flooding here as well. And that was no different there during, um, you know, 1903 for the Eureka Lake Resort and Hotel.
0: Do you have any, uh, as we talk about photos and um, various people perhaps that have visited, are there any notable um, icons that have, that were perhaps residents or t- had to stay there at the Eureka Lake uh, Resort or um, any photos perhaps of any notable people that were ma- or that made a stay there for some period of time?
1: Well, not to my knowledge, but there's no doubt that there probably were. Mm -hmm. Um, C.P. Dewey being from Chicago, and that's what was really advertised in the newspaper. He brought in people from Chicago, and of course, he's a prominent businessman. um, So he brought in a lot of uh, different friends and family from from that area, and not only there, but from across the country. I mean, this was really the to be, um, not only in Manhattan and in Kansas, but it was so nice that you had people who would travel all the way from Chicago to come to this resort, um, which was really neat. And I I could expound a little bit more on on what it offered. Um, They had a diving tower. So that's one of my favorite pictures that we have um, of the lake out there in the hotel. Um, So it's this large diving tower Um, Gosh, I'd probably say it's um, maybe 30 feet up in the air, and Harry Wareham um, is actually photographed on this diving tower with, I believe there are six or seven women, and of course, Harry Wareham was a bachelor his whole life, so I feel like this photo really just encapsulates Harry's life there um, with with these ladies, Um, but it's just really neat. You can see it's out in the middle of the lake here. Um, and there, there these individuals are having fun out there. They also had um, what were called tally ho coaches, and so CP Dewey he would get quote you know the finest horses in Kansas and had those out at the resort, and he had these tally ho coaches that were used for transportation between Manhattan and Eureka Lake. Um, so you could rent one of these coaches and and hire. Um, others, whether it's somebody that was hired or, or Dewey provided them. Um, so there's an individual named Harold Munger uh, who worked out at Eureka Lake. And so according to Harold Munger, uh, quote, these were one of the notable features of the town and anyone who wished to participate in the ultimate social entertainment would charter a coach and give a tallyho party at the beach out there at the lake where the broad verandas and a ballroom of the hotel were the scene of many elaborate dinners, dances, and other social functions. And um, what I love about Harold Munger too, um, he, he's a um, long established individual. He's, he's of course passed, uh, but has a lot of memories of out there at Eureka Lake. And he talks about going out on Stag Hill Road in these Tally Ho coaches. So you would have the responsibility of one person driving the coach, and then you have somebody up on the roof who their job was to holler out because they are just winding around these corners on Stag Hill. And their job was to holler out for anybody coming because you would scrape hubs of the wagon um, as you're coming, if you had somebody going opposite directions as you're rounding Stag Hill. And he talks about um, that in order to get a rise out of the ladies, they would really scream around the corners and they would intentionally try to scare the the women um, who were in these Tally Ho coaches. And and when I say a tally-ho coach, so you might have eight people inside and then they had the upper deck. So there are maybe six to eight people on top of the coach. So it's kind of the ultimate thrill ride to get out uh, to Eureka Lake from Manhattan.
0: Wow. What a what a wild ride that would be. I can't even imagine. I've been on some windy wild roads in uh, California. I lived on a, a very popular motorcycling road where there's a... Maybe you'd see Jay Leno out there sometimes. There's a lot of fancy cars. A lot of motorcycles go down there and they go to a particular restaurant where they all stop and look at each other's vehicles. Um, <laughs> but they go pretty fast around those corners. I would be very shocked to imagine doing that. Uh, in a coach i just couldn't even i couldn't even fathom what that would be like
1: yes and oftentimes they'd have four to six horses pulling these coaches so it's a a large team of horses going around a corner there on stag hill and stag hill i think still today is known as being a a little dangerous so here you are in those coaches and um so that's kind of a a fun story harold has all kinds of recollections from working out there at the lake that are (laughs) fun to read
0: Let's take our last break of the morning. And uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up our conversation on historical his- hotels and lodgings here in Riley County. Uh, you're listening to In Focus on News Radio KMAN. And we are back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. Nick McNamara here, talking with Alana Parker from the Riley County Historical Museum. And we've been talking about hotels and lodgings here in the Manhattan and Riley County area, um, generally around the late 1800s to early 1900s until this point. But we're going to talk about the Blazing Springs Hotel in this one, or is this a resort, Alana?
1: Well, he called it a hotel and resort. A lot okay. of these and kind of interchangeable words, just like the Eureka Lake Resort, you find that it's advertised as a hotel and a resort. So, kind of interchangeable words there. Um, this one was but, out near
0: the Ashland area more though. uh
1: Yeah, so it was kind of southeast, um so a little more to the east there in Riley County. Um, It it was developed by um, a husband and wife, the the Blazings, um, who settled in Riley County in 1866. Um, So there was a drought at that time, and it forced the family to sink several um, well shafts until they discovered uh, two artesian wells. So after some time had passed, the family, of course, they're drinking this water. And they began to feel that some of the ailments that the family, what they were experiencing, they felt that they started to diminish, suspecting it was a result of this mineral water from the well. So they began to sell this water, and they actually built a hotel to accommodate visitors who, as they're advertising this, uh, to accommodate the frequent visitors. And this was in 1887. And he did call it the Blazing Springs Hotel. Um, so members of the family, they would continue to operate this business until 1943, um, when a tornado destroyed the hotel. So are you noticing a theme with some of these hotels? It's either um, fire, here's another one with a um, tornado. That yeah, destroyed. they all have
0: like a doomed uh, future to them as we talk about them. It's like, you know, looming that there's going to be an explanation of how they were destroyed.
1: Uh, which is really too bad. And this, there are some um, really great photographs. It was a three-story limestone hotel. Um And a little bit about blazing. Um, So he was actually a a boot and shoemaker from Germany, as I mentioned, came here in 1866. Um, And his claim was actually the Upper Deep Creek Valley. And he built this cabin here. And then, of course, as I mentioned, um, had the well. And so he this water, he actually started to bottle and sell it. Um, and what he would also do, is so it's not only selling the water, he would evaporate the water and what was left behind was this white powder. So he would also sell this powder, which was easier to ship, of course, you could, um, you know, package that and, and then ship that via the railway. So he shipped this all over the country. Um, so thinking that this curative water, um, he, he marketed it as life reviving and then the news quickly spread throughout the country. Um, And so he obviously capitalized on this and began charging for its use for people to come out so you could actually swim in the water um, to help it with whatever ails you. Um, So we actually are so fortunate at the Raleigh County Historical Society and Museum, we have a couple of these original bottles from the 1880s that it includes the label, the Blazing Springs uh, label on it. And you can still see that white powder um, in the bottle. One of them has maybe about three to four inches of that powder in there. So, of course, you're curious, well, what exactly was this powder? It's exactly Um, where (laughs) I was
0: going, exactly what I was about to ask.
1: Yes, you have this mystery powder in here. Um, So he actually took samples of the powder up to Kansas State Agricultural College uh, to the chemistry department and had a professor there conduct tests on the water's properties. So the results were the primary minerals found from testing the water included magnesium, calcium, sodium, and silica. So those were the four primary um, minerals that were found in this water. Um, so he also constructed a cement tank. It was a it was about eight feet deep uh, beside the well, and he would pipe this water into it, uh, and it would flow at a rate about 250 gallons per hour. Um, so then he also, as I mentioned, you know, he built a bathhouse as part of the hotel. It had an oil heater uh, to provide hot baths with this mineral water, and he also, uh, we were talking earlier. He would advertise that if you had an ailment that his water or this chemical could not cure, he would give that person $50, which in the 1880s, $50 is a large sum of money. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. You can look through the newspapers and find these advertisements where he's claiming whatever ailment you have, this will cure you. Um, and so essentially that's the- essentially, and- it's
0: just mineral water though, right?
1: It's just mineral water.
0: You know, th- uh, there's a lot of people who swear by mineral water in those really fancy bottles these days, but I don't, I don't think they make the same claim regarding uh, curing any ailment that you might have. I don't. I hope people aren't believing that these days either.
1: No. Well, and that's what, thankfully we have um, steps in place today to kind of. Um, help minimize some of that, um, where people are advertising that type of thing. Um, and he did consult with local Manhattan doctors too, um, which those doctors didn't confirm its miracle properties, but they did confirm there's obviously no danger in consuming the minerals. Um, so I guess it's one of those, if it, if it helped you feel a little better, um, there you have a, a hotel that you could go to um, in the Deep Creek area and um, cure what ails you.
0: That's, that's so that's so fascinating. It makes me just the thought process to get to the point where they realize, hey, this water is curing me. It must be the water doing it. I'm feeling better. This is the only thing that's different. But perhaps they could have considered maybe the place they were living before had bad water, and this water was just clean for the first time.
1: (laughs) You know, and that's actually a very valid point. Um, That's another um, thing that you can find in the local papers. So this was in the 1880s as well, where Um, In Manhattan, people were getting very, very sick, and they couldn't figure out why, and it was in a concentrated area in the city. So somebody finally pinpointed that where they were sinking the wells near these homes was also near the outhouses. So these outhouses, that water was leaching into the wells, and people are consuming that water. So um, if you can go out to a a natural spring or or the well here to get your water, I'm sure that was a um, a, a better better change for their diet there yeah, i can um, imagine
0: so um do you know any notable notable figures perhaps uh blazing springs you know, I, I always want to bring it up as we as we get through them are there any uh, i know you mentioned the photos and the things that might and the artifacts you all have but um any any notable icons for kansas or beyond that perhaps stayed at this uh that this particular hotel
1: that is a great question. Um, not to my knowledge, but I, that doesn't mean they didn't stay there. Very and that, we'll definitely have to look into that a little bit more to see. It wouldn't be surprising to to find that there were some um, really prominent individuals that found their way out there for some some relaxation and some healing. <laughs> um, but another interesting point about this, too. So after um, William Blazing, he passed away in 1898. He was 75 years old. Um, his two children continued to run the hotel um, and the business. They, so they continued to bottle and sell the mineral water. Um, The children in 1904, they actually received an invitation to exhibit the mineral water um, at the St. Louis Exposition, so the um, World's Fair in St. Louis there in 1904, and it was actually guaranteed under the Food and Drug Act of 1913, uh, their water was. it, being a, a mineral water, it, it, like it, the doctor said, it didn't um, confirm its miracle properties, but no danger in consuming it. And it might might have helped, which we have some of those things today um, where they're still studying, whether it's a certain kind of tea that helps your health right, or right. whatever the case may be. But um, we we'll definitely have to look in to see if there were um, any notable individuals who stayed out there. And as I said, it wouldn't surprise me.
0: Could have been buying it from afar too. Well, Alana, that kind of wraps up our our show here today. We're just about out of time. So I want to thank you for the time. And also, if anyone wants to learn more about the Historical Museum, rileycountyks.gov, you can find it under their uh, Historical Museum tab. Thanks for listening.